Super speed, super graphics, super attitude. It's supersonic. Sega! And welcome to Sega Stalgia. That's right, the chronological exploration of every Sega Genesis game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Guys, today we have a big one. This is the one we've all been waiting for this whole time. I mean, it took 97 episodes, but we are here with Sonic the Hedgehog. It's amazing that, like, <laughs> this is just like Christmas Day. Joe, I remember you saying uh, way back on, like, episode 34 that you couldn't wait for Sonic to come. And uh, I, I understand you've been playing a lot. Uh, I'm Recently, I have been. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't play when I was a kid, so... Um, what was episode 34? You don't remember. remember that was that was Columns? Oh right, the puzzle yeah. game, right, yeah. right. Because I was just because we, I think we had had a few puzzle games, and I was just like ready to get into some of that uh, that platforming. Right, right. You said enough of the puzzles. I'm tired of. Yeah, solving I love puzzle puzzles. games too, but I just like I was like, just thinking of Sega. Thing, Joe, like I, I don't know how you went your entire time being a Sega fan. Otherwise, why would you be on this podcast? And you hadn't played Sonic. Well, I never, I didn't grow up with a Genesis or anything. I really, most of these games I'm playing for the first time, which is what I think is the point of this podcast. Right, which is true. And so for those of you that are uninformed, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is the better version of any Super Mario Brothers game. And, you know, despite it being an homage to Super Mario Brothers, I think that you'll realize that even though Sonic plays similar, it's definitely different and not a copy. And we're going to explain why when we get into the gameplay section. Oh, for sure. Like, honestly, I don't think you could even call Sonic an homage. It was it was designed to destroy Super Mario, and I, I think it accomplished its job. In many ways, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog actually, like, taught Super Mario, like, a lot of things about what they would implement in later games. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, there's a very long story into the creation of Sonic uh sega was going through some problems as you guys know they were looking for a mascot they had one in alex kid but alex kid is no mario so uh sega said you guys got to come up with something better let's really think about this whole mascot process so they went through like an entire uh design form of just like thinking about what should be the mascot before ever designing a game around that mascot which is kind of weird right like don't you think you should just make the game first and then be like, oh, this is a good game. Let's design a mascot for it. Well, I mean, I think that it, when you look back on like the the mascots of, of old, like it, it it's always a, like a marketing first thing. Like I don't think that uh, I don't think that Sega did all that much research into Alex Kidd because let's let, let's be honest, when we played that game, we called him a buffoon. So like <laughs> right. you need to do a little bit more like market research to to make a good. Uh, to make a good mascot, and I think they actually did that here. Yeah. You know, I don't think that means though that you can't, you couldn't have stumbled into a good mascot. You know, it could they could have just made a great game and happened upon a mascot, but I don't think, I don't think you could set out to make a mascot game without doing what you're talking about, Sean. Like if your yeah. if your goal is to make a mascot game, then yeah, then you have to. Yeah, and I forget. Would, uh, did did Tony the Tiger come first, or did the Frosted Flakes? <laughs> yeah, I that's a good it point. Was Frosted Flakes. <laughs> be really funny if they're like, we've got this great tiger character. What can it go with? Maybe cereal or something? Anyway, back to the story of the creation of Sonic. Um, Sega 
when they were developing ideas for a mascot, they said, no, we want fast characters. We don't want, um, you know, kangaroos or anything like that. So they were like, okay, fine. Here's a rabbit. So they were doing a rabbit for a really long time. And then they were like, no, uh, we need something that can curl in a ball to do like an attack. So that's how they came across a hedgehog. And that gets us into uh, the design of the hedgehog, which first off, who would have raised your hand if you thought like picking a hedgehog to go up against a character like Mario would have been a good idea? It looks like it looks like we're all raising our hands. That's because we know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm saying I don't know that I would have th- come up with what well, I would have thought that back then. Uh, like before it happened, but now looking at it, I think it makes sense to like not necessarily go in the exact same direction as your competitor and like kind of do this like, oh, let's go a cool animal route instead of like a Italian plumber. Yeah. Like I really think that I, I don't know what Nintendo was thinking when they just decided to make their character a stereotype of an ethnicity. And I think that like uh, the, the, the good thing that Sega did was they sort of sidestepped that entire problem and went with an animal, so you, you don't, like, offend an entire nation. Right. And um, Naoto Oshima, who uh, was the designer for Sonic's, like, uh, basically, like, everything that they would follow when they went into programming the game, he has since admitted that when he was creating Sonic's basic design, all he did was combine Felix the Cat's head with Mickey Mouse's body. <laughs> and that's, like, an interesting Frankenstein, and I think a genius decision by Sega. I can see it. I can actually kind of see that now. Okay, so then from there, Sega turns to Yuji Naka, who was the programmer for Fantasy Star uh, on the Sega Master System. If you'll remember, we played uh, Fantasy Star 2 early on on the Genesis, one of the one great of our EGL uh, RPGs. Games. Absolutely. Uh, and also Ghouls and Ghosts, he was the programmer for, uh, just for the Genesis version, not the arcade version. And he wanted to make a Super Mario Brothers game, but he said that he wanted to make it faster. Uh, everything had to be faster because he was dealing with making many slow games. And so finally they needed something with speed. So this all happened when he was playing Super Mario Brothers to get some in, in, uh, inspiration. And he wondered, why can't you clear the levels more quickly? So that's when you get bravery and you get Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, as development continued, the team was actually reading Famitsu. You guys know what Famitsu is? It's that like really bad like Nintendo chronicler, right? Right, they're they're basically. I mean, they 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 chronicle all Japanese video games uh, and development and stuff like that to get kids excited. It, it's a weekly trade thing. It comes. I I think it's actually monthly now that I think about it. But oh, basically, okay. it just it tells you like what's happening. It's like a magazine for video games that's been running since like the early '80s, and uh, they were reading it while they were developing the game to read the reviews to see what Famitsu was critiquing in other games and avoid their mistakes. It's a good idea. Great idea. Uh, the game, of course, would release finally in June of 91, uh, beating Super Mario World to North American markets by just two months.
thing we have to talk about here is the Sega uh, synthesizer sound at the start. You know, like that's 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 just genius, and that's so familiar in everybody's brains now. But this was the first time it was implemented, as far as I can remember. Yeah. So to have to have like a voice synthesis saying the words from the commercial, you know, that's how they played them out in the commercials. To have that actually happen in the game, I love that. Yeah, it yeah, sounds I, really I, good too. It sounds kind of close to like voice. <laughs> For sure. Like when I mentioned it in the first few episodes that like because of what I was used to, like when I was a kid playing the Genesis on my brother's uh, my brother's device, like I always remembered this during like the beginning of every game. And like for for the first 96 episodes to not hear that, it was just so just so weird. And also then then immediately you're greeted by like this like great sprite work of Sonic and he's just kind of like wagging his finger at you. What, what is that all <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, he's like cheeky about it. He's like a like like uh, I kind of think he's saying like I'm the cool mascot. You yeah, know? yeah. He's got a lot of tood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's almost telling you like don't play this game because you can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, it's like or it's a little bit like, like You've been a bad boy and your parents don't like this. Rebel against your parents. <laughs> Yeah, maybe actually that's what it was programmed to do is like there's actually versions where if you finished your homework, he doesn't wag his finger but just gives like a <laughs> thumbs up. I think you're right. Right. Uh, so let's just talk a little bit about Sonic and the gameplay. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the character here. Um, you know, the size of Sonic in the game, it, it's interesting because, you know, I get it. We're in 16-bit graphics now and we've seen bigger sub-sized graphics for, um, you know, like Altered Beast and Golden Axe. Those characters were bigger. But mm-hmm. on a platformer, this is a pretty big character for a platformer. And when you go up against the size of Sonic versus the size of the screen, it's kind of a miracle that they could make this whole thing work with, uh, you know, the fast scrolling nature of it, but still being able to um, anticipate what was coming at yeah. you. I think it it also you know tr- going with the fast theme of everything. I think making him bigger and making the obstacles a little bigger, just making every, scaling everything up, makes that a little bit easier to manage because there's not as much kind of coming at you at once because you're moving so quickly. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is a really busy. It, it's a very busy looking game. There's a lot of bright colors. There's a lot of beautiful art. Um, and like the fact that this can keep up at like a, a good like I don't know thirty sixty frames. Like I think it's really just the frame rate that allows you to track everything. Yeah, it's actually 60 frames, and um, they were they were doing something. Uh, Sean, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm sure I have this in the notes somewhere. But when they were doing testing, they uh, were having problems with the 60 frames where Sonic and the speed of everything, it was like kind of every, every like 59 frames, essentially, you'd miss one of Sonic. Ooh. So there would be like this weird um, filtering in and out effect. So they had to actually reverse program it so that uh, the number of objects on on screen would never get to a point that it couldn't render all of them at once. That's actually that, that that's some very creative design work. It sounds like. Yeah, well, you know, they designed Sonic in a way that his default speed is always the speed of Mario running. Wow. So the game is never slow. You never you can't walk at the rate, uh, say like how Mario walks. I Why think would you want to? Uh, but I do think, as far as like the way, the far as the is the way the character controls, it does feel like it 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 moves faster. But I think after the first world, maybe the first two worlds, it's like it's not. I don't think the levels are necessarily always designed for you to be moving quickly. Oh no, like, that's they something are. That, that's something that I noticed at least in the, like the second level. There's a lot of times you have to stop, you have to be careful, you have to meticulously yeah, are you time like a Marble things. Hill Zone. Yeah. Uh, 
whereas in the first level, I feel like, oh, this is like, you can really kind of get on a roll here. In the second level, I feel like the, the level itself is almost designed to like compete with your want to go fast. Joe, I absolutely agree. Uh, I put this as a note here. Is the so is the you know like because the character himself, right? We talked about the size of everything and the scrolling nature because you can only fit so much that it, the game's constantly pretty much scrolling and it has this effect of feeling like you're going backwards, kind of for in a weird way. Like Sonic's moving forward, but the screen is moving you know at a at a rate faster. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know you, you're kind of losing your place on the map. But he's also so fast that when he stops, it also has like this momentum attached to it where he actually has to like, he has like this foot animation where he like stops he's on breaking. his heels. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. But to counteract that to what Joe was saying, the level exploration kind of makes me wonder like, is the goal to go fast or was that like a later thing? Like everybody knows Sonic's catchphrase, gotta go fast. But is that like, is that true for this 1991 Genesis game? I don't know. Well, I feel like, like the, the, they set a really great standard with with uh, Emer- uh, with the first with the first level, Green um, Hill Zone. Green Hill Zone, yeah. So you can just you could just jump over half the stage at certain points, and it really um, it really rewards going fast. Uh, and then finally, like that, that's its uh, you know that's its pilot episode, and then we get over to episode two, or you know. Uh, Marble Hill Zone, and it starts to like change, like what what Mario? Wow, <laughs> yeah, Sonic, yeah, <laughs> what Sonic is trying to be, and I don't think that that succeeded. But I think that with the worlds after that, um, it does sort of get back to what makes Sonic work. I think, um, in a way, the variety of even the length of the stages is a really interesting choice here because. Uh, as Sean mentioned, Green Hill Zone appreciates your chaos. Yeah. You know, go as fast as you want, go wherever you want. Like that—that's a that, you know, you can pretty much get through the stage as long as you're not being too careless because there's like one or two pits, I believe. Yeah. Now, when you get to Marvel Hill Zone, all of a sudden the game kind of says, "Well, like, hold up, hold up. There is this thing called platforming, and now you're in a cave, so you kind of gotta like play at our speed." After that, though, when you get to the Labyrinth Zone or um. Even the very last, uh, very late stages, like Scrap Brain Zone, uh, Scrap Brain Zone would destroy most players who are being reckless because <coughs> there's just like open pits everywhere. You can't just run out into the open because almost everything's designed to have you fall into a bottomless pit. And that that's all true. Like starting with Marble Hill, and it starts and it starts to punish you for for being reckless. Like it still does allow for like this thing that like primordial version of speed running that like once you start to learn these uh layouts that uh, on your first playthrough you're probably being very uh you're probably being very cautious like you can start to realize that like oh i don't need to wait for this floating box uh that's going over the lava to to get there like i could jump from platform to platform and like it's going to require some precision precision but you can still like go through the level uh, relatively fast compared to your first playthrough. And I think that that carries over uh, past the second level. And thematically, too, it makes sense that, like, if Sonic lives in Green Hill Zone, he wouldn't live in a place that was dangerous for him. <laughs> Even though there are, right? like, like, robot bees everywhere, Mike. But, but, but that but, just happened, but, right? That was... That just happened, right. Uh, Sean didn't read the deep lore here. Uh, Dr. Robotnik, uh, you know, and that's something we should talk about, too, right away. 
Robotnik, Eggman. Where do you guys stand? I, on this? I never Jim know Carrey. what the yeah. I, I I default I guess to Robotnik, but I don't know where they where the Eggman comes from and Robotnik comes I've from. I've always been Eggman a Robotnik is the guy. Japanese one. Yeah, Robo- Ro- it's so Robotnik actually, or Go Home for me. <laughs> I'm an Eggman guy, guys. I gotta tell you. I mean, he's based off of Humpty Dumpty, so but might as well nowhere in the nursery rhyme does it say Humpty Dumpty was an egg. Really? So say the nursery rhyme. There's, it doesn't say he's an egg. Someone just drew it that I way. I don't even once, know any of the lines. All the king's horses and all that king's man. Humpty Dumpty. Nope, nothing for me. <laughs> but there's no kings and there's no horses in this one, so that does make sense. Right, that it's not the, Humpty the, Dumpty. The allegory is getting looser. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so if Eggman is just, or Robotnik as you guys want me to call him, if he's just turned all of the animals into enemies, it is a really cool thing that anytime you destroy any enemy, you see the actual animal get freed and and run away and never get harmed. Yeah. I mean, that's a really cool little touch. Well, real quick, I mean, even in the uh, in the actual uh, manual for this game, his name is Dr. Robotnik, but that's neither here nor there, no. Uh, I, it seems to me, though, that... Uh, the robots themselves aren't like being controlled by these woodland creatures. It seems that they're just being harvested for life source um, because uh, they, they're never like, it's always just a little birdie or a little bunny. And all these, all these like robots are uh, these, like they're either uh, sharp caterpillars or they're bees or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I right. I mean, this is exactly why if you don't play this game, um, in like a genocide mode where you have to kill all the enemies, you're going, you know, you can't be a pacifist in this game. You must free every single <laughs> animal from the enemies. But it does like give you, like if you weren't that, uh, if you like skipped over a lot of them, it does give you the opportunity to save uh, a bunch wholesale by uh, stomping <laughs> on, on that big uh, like machine at the end. Yeah, Right so, at the yeah. end of each level yeah. uh, after the three acts. For sure. So what you're saying is as long as you hit your quota of the number you should save, the rest are fine. I think that's how it should work. <laughs> okay, I just don't, I don't want to be clear. Yeah. And you'll also notice that, like, this is a much, like, smarter way to deal with, like, saving your world. Whereas in Super Mario Brothers, I'm pretty sure they said that all of the blocks were toads that were transformed into blocks. And so Mario is just straight up killing yeah. the toads. I mean, that's also of, just lazy. It's just lazy writing. <laughs> yeah, that was just, I think that was just shoehorned into the manual or something. Right. What is so unbelievable about blocks existing, <laughs> yeah. floating blocks? Like, and it's... if you want, to, if you want to, like, argue, like, who's the more selfish player or who's the more selfish character? It's obviously going to be Mario because he only cares about saving like one girl, whereas Sonic is saving all the animals. And it's what about also all the better environment environmentalist. Yeah, I think that Sonic is the better environmentalist. Oh yeah, hands down. Absolutely. That's basically this whole game thematically is just about like you know, climate change and, you know, evil corporations and just, like, sticking out for the little guy. Exactly. Another thing I was going to say is we didn't talk about this uh, because we haven't talked about it a lot. We've been mostly rambling. But 
there's there's no one set path to get through any particular level. There's kind of like this ladder system of like the high road, the middle road, and the low road. And it feels like the high road is for high skilled players. For sure. The medium is kind of, and you can fall, you can switch between three of them too. It's not like if you wind up at the bottom, you're stuck there. Yeah. But I just thought this whole thing was very interesting in terms of exploration. Because again, if the game is all about going fast, how am I ever going to find any of these other paths if I'm just supposed to blitz through this stuff? See, I don't really see it as like exploration based. Like, yes, there is a, there is a lot to see and you won't see all of it in one run through, but it just seems to be more, uh, uh, being able to allow the player more create that more expressive play like but it's not are, like yeah. i want to go see uh what's down in this corner i'm not exploring in that way I'm but it does seem find... like there are there are a lot of things that are hidden no like there are a lot of things that are like oh what's that little block over there sticking out next to a solid wall and you go down there and you can walk through the solid wall things like sure, that that i feel like yeah. are more you need i to think you're supposed to like stop accidentally because like I think that when you're playing this game, you're trying to, to to go as fast as possible, and you will accidentally find them if you just miss time a jump. Right. I think that it's good that they're there, but I don't think this is like the same kind of exploration that you might find in uh, like a like in the other you know in the other system like a Metroid or something. Fair enough. Um... I think it's also worth noting that these levels aren't easy to design either. Um, Naka said that it took him around eight months just to develop Green Hill Zone because he had to constantly keep restarting from scratch because you only have so many uh, elements you can place out, you know, in the memory of the game, and then also to uh, to make sure that you don't get like locked into a specific place where if you go backwards you can't go forward. That's interesting. Like I would never would have thought that like in '91 there was like a development hell. <laughs> right, and and they was they, I guess they were stuck in it. I guess it could only happen for a game like this where you're being told that this is going to be the future of Sega. Yeah. You know, there's not many situations where this happens for any companies. You know, I don't think even like a company like Naughty Dog would think like, oh well, our whole future rests on The Last of Us. You know, <laughs> like it, like it just happened to take off and become considered one of the best games of all time. But like it wasn't that way from the beginning. Yeah, because they already had uh, the um. Uncharted, Uncharted series, series to yeah. fall back on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, you know, just for, to get your guys' POV on this, too, for the exploration stuff, as you played some of the levels again, did you did you notice that you went different paths, or you kind of just keep going the same way over and over again? Maybe a little bit, but I think I would have to be playing it... I would have to have played it more times to really start to, to kind of pick my favorite paths or, or try... I mean, I guess that's not what your question was, but, like... And right now, it's just like, a, what's the most uh, intuitive path for me to go? So if I really knew the game really well, that's when I'd be like, okay, like this time I'm going to go this way because it's like the quicker path or, oh, I know about these secrets over here. I'm going to try and fly through those. I think, that, I think it's like more, the more you play, the more you perfect your your path and like the, the most optimum way yeah. to go. Yeah, I would say that with this game, it's more of like a roll with the punches sort of thing. Like I would attempt to go in one direction and maybe I'll fail a jump or I'll uh, get stopped in my tracks and then I have to sort of very quickly decide, oh, I'm going to go this way instead. So, yeah, I mean, there were routes that I would have preferred to go, but you sort of end up getting better at all of them as you uh, fail and pick yourself back up um, throughout it. Yeah, I think ro- roll yeah, with the punches. Live and, live and learn, Sean. Exactly. Yeah, roll with the punches seems, like seems like a really good way of putting it. I think that kind of hits it on the head. 
And sorry for cutting you off there, Joe. I have to say live and learn because obviously, you know, Sonic fans know where I'm at, where my where my brother's at, all right? Yep. I mean, we're all going to escape from the city pretty soon. Uh, and then here's uh, here's something I wanted to talk about. Hazards in the game, okay? There's, there's obviously enemies. Every video game ever has enemies. Um, but this one also has spikes, uh, pits, the threat of being crushed. I mean, this happens a lot, right, throughout this game. There's always this threat of being crushed, and it doesn't matter if you have rings or not. Like, no amount of rings can save you from being squashed to your death. It's true. And I thought that was interesting, that it's just, like, everywhere. It's prevalent that there's these things that are gonna, um, gonna crush you. And then to add everything to it, they also have water levels where, unlike Mario games, you need to get oxygen uh, to, underwater. Yeah, uh, you have it's, to get just, it's a lot. It's a lot more realistic in that way. Right, and outside of the realism, though, too, I think it's just like there's a lot at stake here in terms of enemies, but also variety of ways to die. Did you guys find yourself getting hurt a lot? Yeah, yeah I was I crushed think, a lot. Yeah. I think that like it's for me, it was a lot of getting hit. And then grabbing one or two rings and like just kind of surviving by the one or two rings I have. And it was a lot, there's a lot of like risk reward consideration between do I go fast, which feels so accurate to this character, but then risk running into something that I don't see coming. I mean, if you, if you compare it to, uh, Stormlord, we had in that game, it was much more, everything was much more meticulous and slow and almost, I mean, it's, it's just a different design decision, but it almost sometimes you're walking frustratingly slow. Not necessarily in a bad way, but but in this game, you really want it makes you want to move fast and not like think so much about your next move. So I think that kind of makes the obstacles all that much more dangerous. And I think that's a great analogy because Stormlord is a game that also came out relatively recently. I mean, just a few episodes ago, but I think it came out uh, two months prior. And that was a game that we, you know, we were having trouble deciding where does this go on our list, you know, and uh, ultimately it didn't get there. But now we have. Uh, we've learned from that, and we've seen what Sonic can do. Yeah. Uh, I really want to call out uh, something. Sorry, Sean. I wanted to call out that purple worm. Oh, God. With the spikes all I over his body. Thing. Absolutely <laughs> hate yeah, it. Yeah, that was like, my least favorite enemy to come across. But I do want to like come come back to like one of the core uh, one of the core gameplay elements is that like something that you don't really see uh, or you didn't see. Um, I think it still makes Sonic unique. Is that uh, you know, with, with something like Mario or uh, the other side scrollers that we uh, that exist in the gaming sphere at this time, like uh, there was never something akin to rings. Like the rings are prevalent, and all you need is one, and you get an extra hit. And I think that that, that like these rings are so core to what makes this game feel like a Sonic game is that as long as you have a ring. You can you could sustain one blow uh, as long as you don't get crushed or something, um, and I think that allows you to be a little bit more risky in your play because you could still pick up your rings after you lose them, and this is something that you really haven't seen before. Yeah, it's almost like in certain ways Sonic is more powerful because he's almost like invincible as long as he has that one ring. And Joe mentioned that when you lose all your rings, when when you get hit by an enemy, they scatter all over the place. You you pick up maybe like one to two rings i think that that's true i think it's very hard to like say you had like 55 you're never gonna come out with like 10 yeah you you get staggered and it's really hard to get all of them but you can you can still survive which i think is great i think i actually enjoy this rather than having power-ups i i think it would have been a mistake 
for Sonic to find, like, the super mushroom equivalent. Yeah. And then get, like, you know, like, now he has longer spikes so he can last longer. You know, it's like, I, I don't think that that would have would have made sense. So I think the ring thing is something that you understand right away because the graphic is so good for when they, like, go everywhere and scatter. But also because it's something that's communicated and then never, like, it's never talked about. There's no tutorial. You in just understand There's no, it. like, here's what you have to do. You understand it mostly because of people who have played Mario beforehand, but also because you understand it based on the game design. Yeah, I don't think you need to have played something like Mario to understand Sonic. Right. I think that uh, it it's not necessarily... I don't. I don't even think that that the ring thing is necessarily like overall a better way of, um, you know, better way of designing a game. I just think that this game was designed around that concept. So, you, so it's hard to imagine it doing it any other way, because like if you were to then give Sonic power ups, like you said, it wouldn't really make sense with like not that it wouldn't make sense, but it wouldn't fit as well with the rest with the way the game is actually designed and laid out. But they had to come up with it. Like this didn't exist before this, so they had to. Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not taking the credit away for that. I, I just. I just don't think that like they've necessarily come up with the better version. I just think they came up with a unique and and maybe better, maybe worse, depending on your preference. But like interesting change of pace, where it's not just the same old gameplay as we've yeah. seen a million times before. Uh, and, and lastly, I mentioned the water hazard. I mean, there's nothing more terrifying in this whole world than dun, that dun, water dun, music dun, when dun, time dun, is dun, up, dun, right? Yeah. Especially because you don't really get a countdown bef- up to that to that so once that happens you're like shit like i wish you could see your time the whole time but yeah, i think you only get like 30 seconds tops yeah and i don't know about you guys but that's that was the easiest way for me to die was just like taking for granted how much time i had and then not <laughs> being sure. near a bubble mentioned the uh like that little motif for running out of air but the music in general in this game is so it's it's a it's a paradigm shift every single song on this soundtrack is a bop i mean i seriously i still jam to these all the time and and i'm not even trying to be funny here for a minute this is this is an unbelievable soundtrack this is probably up there with like led zeppelin (laughs) four In terms of like albums to listen to, I, an iconic iconicness. Yeah, it's like I think um, Labyrinth Zone is like that this generation's Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> so uh, I did actually look up though uh, a little bit about the music. So I'm glad you could shift us over to this, Sean, because uh, Masato Nakamura uh, was the one who was given the um, assignment of designing all the music for the game, but. He's not a video game composer. He was the bassist and songwriter for a J-pop band called Dreams Come True. And Sega was like, he's hip. Let's hire him to write the music for this game. Oh, man. I guess I got to look up Dreams Come True. And you know that they're going to be good, too. Uh, I think what Nakamura manages to do here is find 
like a, a balance between fun, groovy, and also like a tempo that complements the fast nature of the Sonic series. Because you got like Green Hill Zone is bumping, right? Like that is great, but it's also playful. And then you have, you know, um, <coughs> what's that one? Starlight Zone is, I forget what that's called. It's something star. And that one is like, you might hear that on like a Rainbow Road that Nintendo like ripped off from Sega. But that's Probably, that's what that sounds yeah. like, you know. It's it's got like a it rainbow road vibe. Zone. I don't know why you have to like. Uh, you don't have to say it like in the in the context of like a, a stupid like Nintendo. Story. I didn't want to be mean to, to our competitors. That. True. Yeah. And uh, Nakamura said that the hardest part of creating the soundtrack was the number of sounds that could be played concurrently. He was limited to just four sounds at a time and said that his lack of knowledge of music on computers made it impossible. So he was mostly just playing around until he was somewhat satisfied with whatever was coming out. And he made a masterpiece. Following up on gameplay here, do you guys think it's a little strange that we don't have the spin dash feature in Sonic 1? I don't know what that is. Actually. Oh my gosh. Joe, you're breaking my heart here. Uh, that's this, insane, Joe. No, it's Come fine. On. It's fine. We love him. We love him. Uh, Joe, you we know, do love him. Yeah. Thanks. What you do is when you, when you crouch into a ball in any other Sonic game and you press the, um, the A button, it will start revving Sonic up. And then when you let go, he just kind of launches out like full speed. That doesn't happen uh, in this game. It cannot no. happen in this game. I think that like, obviously I attempted to do it because I remember playing like Sonic and Knuckles and stuff like that uh, when I was a kid, but um, I, I still think that like because those haven't come out yet, it cannot be a knock on it. Um, but obviously, you really, I, I would very much prefer to play this game with the uh, with the revving speed dashes. Yeah, and uh, you know, Joe, to your credit, um, you, the spin dash is there in a way that Sonic will, when going very fast through loops or through um, force slides. He will rev up into a ball and be able to tackle like anything that comes in his way. Right. So right. Th that it, that is kind of like the spin dash. It's just that you can't manually force it. It has to be stage designed. It's funny because I, I thought that I that I actually like held it down one time and started a rev up, but I didn't do it. Like I didn't actually do the. I just thought there was a thing that I like wasn't ready for. I didn't want to go that fast. Right. Right. So I didn't. <laughs> That's but I thought that I but I thought that that was like. I was able to rev up at one point. Maybe not. No, I think it, it wasn't the revving. It was. It still does have like if if you if you change direction in a certain way, like it will just start making you tumble. But it isn't the same. Okay. Maybe that's what, what it was. I remember curling games. up in a ball when I wasn't really moving fast, and and it made a sound as if like it was revving up. So I thought if I like hit. You know, if I if I like launched at that moment, I would go flying or something. But I never tried it. Right, and and you know what? I, I don't think I really miss the spin dash in this one. I think it would have been strange in a lot of these levels uh, because these levels have more traps and pits. Whereas I think once it the spin dash gets introduced in Sonic Two, I think those levels had now that that was a gameplay feature, they had that in mind and, and allowed for like longer yeah. sections without a pit in it. I don't think you would have gotten away with the spin dash anywhere in the Scrap Brain Zone. Well, yeah, th this this game is littered with very devious traps, like you mentioned, and it, it, it's actually it, it's almost like uh, like they're they're just beckoning you to try something, and then they'll just throw you into a pit. It's it just seemed like very 
uh, confrontational. The um, I think s- the developers of this game. Right, I think Sega <laughs> knew that they could win at any time, and they're just toying with us, the player. Yeah, and that's why they, you know, they essentially like let you win at the end of the game. If you won, they let you win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do want to try the spin dash in Sonic One, it was available on the Game Boy Advance version of Sonic the Hedgehog oh. One, which I think is crazy. One that it exists. Game Boy. Yeah, Game Boy Advance. <laughs> uh, one that it exists, but also that they then added the spin dash, but didn't change the level designs. So you can see what that's like. I will. Maybe I'll try it. I've never actually owned a Game Boy. Yeah, I can understand why not. Uh, and then uh, can we talk briefly about in Act 3 of everything, there's the uh, Eggman or, sorry, you guys want me to call him Robotnik. Uh, these boss it is fights. Robotnik. Yeah, these boss fights with him. And, um, you know, they... They're not necessarily hard, but they're fun, right? They're playful. I, I think that I wouldn't say they're not fun, definitely. I mean, they're fun, but I, I did wish that there was a, at least in the first couple, there, I wish there was a higher level of difficulty on these. I think regardless of how difficult the, the boss battles may or may not be, uh, like that, that feedback you get when you hit his little uh, uh, circle uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever little it is. It's like vehicle. a vehicle. Yeah, his floating vehicle. It feels good. Yeah. Well, there's a good sound there. Yeah, that sound is really nice. Yeah. Uh, I also think it's better to fight, um, you know, this is not Mega Man levels of quality, but I think it's better to fight a different Eggman every time than to fight the same cat dinosaur every single stage where all you have to do is jump over him and hit an axe. Cat dinosaur. Yeah, you know, like whatever that thing is. What what is Now he's the president of that company. Uh, That's Bowser. Oh, that's the Mario bad guy. Yeah, the Mario franchise that we don't usually talk about on the show. Right, of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, now Bowser's the president of Nintendo, so that just goes to show you how things have really gone to shit over there. <laughs> uh, all right, what else did I have? Oh, so, you know, one thing about the boss fights, though, if we can just get right to the end of the game here, there's the final stage, which is just a boss fight, um, and you're not given any rings, which I thought was an interesting choice. Because I was like, wow, you're going to need, like, at least one ring, hopefully. But no, you don't really even need that one ring because this is a very easy last boss fight, provided that you figure out the timing because it never changes. There's a corner you can hide in, which is not like a – they didn't plan for it. They totally gave you that whole corner to hide in. And the balls, uh, energy balls that can shock you, you – they never change positions, so you just have to find the center part and then jump over them, and that's all it is. As long as you time the jump, you'll never get squashed by Eggman. And I just thought that was a really weak final boss, and, and probably the only down part of this entire franchise. It, it is strange that, like, yeah, a game that has been so uh, it has been so devious with its traps and uh, making the the levels leading up to this boss fight so. Uh, so nerve-wracking at times, and then they just allow you to sort of, like, game it. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. This is the only blunt. I, I, I felt that, I mean, not that you would game the other uh, the other bosses, but I, that's kind of how I felt about all the bosses, that the levels themselves were just way harder, for the most part, than the boss battle, which felt a little backwards yes, to me. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, again, there, there are no Mega Man level quality, uh, and I would honestly say that maybe the ending being so easy is just proof that uh, Sonic died in the previous level and was just dreaming that he had won. <laughs> I've always thought that about this game. Yeah. There is one thing that's really cool, though, about all of these, and that's the special stages. In every level, there's an opportunity to get to a special stage, 
if you collect 50 coins, uh, they have this... Rings, oh, Mike. Whoa, Rings. my bad, my bad, my bad. Sorry, I felt like an alternate universe crushing in on me. Um, you know, these rings, if you collect 50 of them, a big ring uh, will be at the end of the stage and you have to jump into it. First off, amazing graphics on that 3D ring. Amazing. But then you jump into it and you go to the special stage. Uh, Joe, did you make it to the special stage? Yes, a couple times. Uh, uh, okay. And I and I do I do like I like the special stage. It's, it's pretty, you want me to describe it before we kind of go yes, into what we feel please. like. So what you please. do in the in the special stage, you're kind of like floating around in this this giant area with it's almost like a little maze with different different walls around you. And you as you turn the direction of Sonic, you change the direction that the maze is turning. So you, the gravity sort of like ch- takes you to wherever the bottom is at the time. And your goal is to just kind of collect as many rings and fall through as many rings without reaching the the end of it or you know you get enough rings you can get an extra continue or you can get a uh, chaos emerald uh so it's really just kind of like collecting things without hitting these certain points that'll that'll end the bonus level for you and it has um unfortunately the worst music in the whole game and it's very repetitive uh it doesn't this kind of feel like you've you've glitched the game a little when you jump into this it doesn't look normal compared to the rest of the game it feels like you've kind (laughs) of walked into like this Minus world style thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, because whenever I think of like the special stages in these games, I think back to, I forgot which one it is, but it's where you're sort of um, running in a globe. Oh, Sonic like, 3. Yes. Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sonic 3. Like those are my favorite special stages in any Sonic game. And it this does sort of feel like a letdown in comparison to that. Yeah, I think. Uh... Also, they just kind of like the, the the first one is approachable and lets you understand the concept of collecting the Chaos Emerald. And even though the physics are like super weird, as Joe described, um, you get over it because it's a short one. If you try to collect all six, that's right. There's only six, not seven in the first Sonic game. If you try to collect all six Chaos Emeralds uh, by the last three, it is super tedious. And there's so many of those little diamonds to crush to get to the Chaos Emerald. Yeah. And there's so many exits. It's almost like they didn't want you to get all six. But the weirdest part is that the payoff is almost nothing. I mean, in future games, when you get all uh, seven Chaos Emeralds, you turn into supersonic and you're invincible and you run on coin energy. Like, that's incredible. Uh, It is incredible. (laughs) And it does look fucking awesome. Yes. And meanwhile, in this one, if you collect all six at the end of the game, instead, Sonic just at the ending, it's the same ending, but with all of his animal friends freed, he just shows all six Chaos Emeralds, and then it's like, thanks for playing. Like, yeah. no, turn into Supersonic. Like, <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like, like a trophy <laughs> thing or something. Like, you, oh, you, you, you have bragging rights because you have all the Chaos Emeralds. Yeah, I think, though, that like with the Chaos Emeralds sort of trying to be like the true ending... It does kind of suck that it, it is that lackluster yeah. at the end. Like it, uh, a true ending sort of playthrough should have a little bit more behind it. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. About the bonus level, also, I think something that we glossed over though was that you can get extra continues, which you know usually I'm not crazy about games that like do the full game over. Like, okay, you got to start back from the beginning of the entire game, and I still wouldn't say that this has sold me on that concept. But I did like the idea that like the fact that your your game is over is fully in your hands. Even if you've been dying, you could have been getting those bonus levels and collecting more continues. So if you lose all your lives, you could still start with three more lives. And then that that was kind of cool that it gives you a little bit more agency in in whether or not you have to start back from the from zone one. 
Lastly, I think we need to talk about the little touches in the game because they're some of the best parts of the game. Um, the the Sonic waiting animation, if you don't do anything, he just kind of like starts tipping his toe and then he like checks his <laughs> watch and looks at the screen. Like, He's so on. sassy. That's what I love about Sonic. He's so sassy. He doesn't he doesn't care about anybody. Except for his woodland friends. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, and I mentioned that the animals uh, are a nice another little touch because even if they, like, jump off in Marble Hill Zone into the lava, they don't, like, disappear. <laughs> you see them continue to hop, and they're just, like, seemingly invincible. So I love that about that they made sure that you know that the animals got around safe <laughs> because otherwise what is the whole point of the game if the animals would die? Uh and then also if Sonic's on like the very edge of a platform, he does this thing with like his hands where he like he's like, Whoa, whoa, like he thinks he's gonna fall, but he's just psyching you out. He knows he's not gonna yeah, fall. Yeah, he knows. Otherwise he'd take a step back, the goofball. So it's like it's little things like that that I really like, but then there's this whole other section of the game which I'm gonna call cheats. And Ooh. there's so many cheats in this game and i really appreciate the fact that they put in all these different things like a level select and a sound select so this way you can go through all the best music but here comes the big one there's a much longer code for a configurator mode and in this configurator mode you can literally redesign the levels of any of the sonic games i think that uh, of sonic one how do you get to these modes so in, in at the start screen, I mean, the level select one's super easy. I believe once you see the Sonic the Hedgehog logo, you do up, down, left, right, press the A button and hold it down and then hit start. And that one will give you, um, that one will give you the stage select one. The configurator mode, I don't remember the whole thing, but it's the same thing on the title screen. You pick a bunch of things and then Sonic, as the character, you can enter the config mode in uh, Green Hill Zone, and you can cycle through all the other objects. So Sonic will turn into a coin, and uh, sorry, a, a ring, and then you can put that ring anywhere on the map. Or you could just glitch yourself through all the walls and take yourself to the end of the level. It, it's so crazy that it's like Mario Maker was 20 years too late. It really was, because this is the the better version of it. You could put any enemy, anything you want uh, into these config modes. And so it's like, you are a programmer in certain ways. In, in a little bit of, of a way, everyone is a Sonic the Hedgehog designer. You're, you know what? That is <laughs> one of the best ways to describe it. All right. So does anybody else have any other little touches they wanted to talk about? Um, you know what? You you jumped right into my first one with the with the waiting animation, but I also uh, really like that. Um, once you hit that the end of each stage, like that that sign that you blow past and you make it make it spin, and you know, there's also like the the little bonuses if you jump at the right moment. But um, I, I think that that is just like the the best touch of finality to each level. Right, and Joe. I mean, I think you guys kind of nailed it. I think this is just a pretty polished game. I mean, there's there's just a lot of a lot of little details. It's, it's I don't really have too much more to add. It's just very well, like the every sprite is very that you can tell they paid close attention to detail. They you know they added those little animations and stuff. I, I don't have anything bad to say about it. <laughs> yeah, and I think also we forgot to mention that whole like other motif of Sonic destroying technology to get the real rewards of the environment. You're right. Like, he basically you know? is the first eco-terrorist. Right, because all the computers in the game have, like, cool power-ups in them, but they must be destroyed if you want to get them. So, uh, 
clearly, you know, we shouldn't have computers and Mother Nature can't coexist. Yeah, and it's like I, I think our audio producer was uh, actually telling me something about how this is sort of like the preface to the you know the conspiracy theory. I don't want to give credence to it that like like birds may or may not be real in real life. Oh, that they're a government drone. Yeah. Something along yeah, those well, lines. Well, they're actually Dr. Robotnik's drones. That's what I was, yeah, that's what I'm thinking with all of, like, these things. Right, right. Uh, all right, so I think that's enough conspiracies, and now let's move into the spinoff section. Uh, as everybody knows, Sonic the Hedgehog is a amazingly popular franchise that still continues today, and we're not going to talk about every single game. Instead, I just wanted to tell you about where else you can play Sonic 1, because you can play it on, did you know, the Sega Master System? I did hear about this. It looks a little goofy. It is It is a little goofy. It's the 8-bit version of Sonic the Hedgehog 1. A couple differences. It has an overworld map, which is really cool to have, like, this giant map of the entire place of where you go to so you can kind of understand, like, oh, this is where Sonic lives, and then Marble Hill Zone's over here, and, oh, and they just keep going up the, the mountain, essentially, until they get to the Scrap Brain Zone. I, I thought that that was, like... Really, really important to know where you are at all times in the map. It is important. Uh, I would also I, I say wish that we would have got that. Yeah, I would also say though that um, with uh, the the Master System version, I've only like looked, I've only watched like some videos. Um, but as an eight bit game, it is still very good looking, and I would say better looking than anything on that NES. That's probably true. Uh, but it also had to make some sacrifices too, Sean. The uh, your rings, uh, they don't scatter everywhere. Instead, just one ring, which contains all of your rings, falls out of place. And then, if you can collect that, you pretty much get all your coins back minus like a few. Yeah, I mean that's compromise. Um, but I just like the the enhanced color palette of the Master System in comparison to other games of that generation. Um, uh, it, it still has that Sonic feel. Yeah, yeah, and and if you, oh yeah, Joe. Well, I was ahead. gonna say I actually until right now totally forgot that I have played this version of it. Um, just because oh. <laughs> at one point I I did own a Wii. I know, um, but on the Wii you could you could buy you know their their digital downloads or whatever, and one of them was Sonic the Hedgehog, and I just saw it and thought oh, it was yeah. thought it was this version of Sonic the Hedgehog, which I had only played a few times anyways when I was a kid. And once I downloaded it, I realized that, that uh, maybe I was mistaken. Um, and I'll say you can definitely tell that it is that it does not it does not control the same way as uh, as what we're used to on uh, on this Genesis version of Sonic the Hedgehog. There's no. It question. is nice though that they. It's definitely nice that they gave uh, an option for people who were too poor to have a Genesis. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up. But oh, sorry, you could also play Sonic One on the Game Gear. Uh, portable, but unfortunately yeah. it's still the same. It's the Master System version again, so take that for what you want out of it. Um, and I still know that the Sega Nomad... Yeah, the Sega Nomad, you could play with that if you wanted to just take your Sonic the Hedgehog Genesis cart on the go. You just needed to own a Nomad. And there was also uh, Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, which is not Sonic 1, uh, even though people might think that. It's Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. It came out to arcades and it features um, an armadillo character as well. It's all it's all kind of loopy. Really hard to find, honestly, and to get a hold of. I don't even know if it's been um, like re-put on any of the newer systems, so I'm not quite sure how you'd get that other than pirating it. 
Uh, that's about everything that I had here, because everything else is just kind of like virtual console stuff, like Joe already mentioned. So pretty much Sonic 1 is a game you can play wherever you want. There's a version that came to the 3DS that lets you play in stereoscopic 3D, so you know you need that in your life. Uh Yep, and I think with that, we're going to take it into the Essential Games List. (laughs) Guys, it's one thing to make a game that is the answer to your competitor's system sellers. It's another thing to walk all over it and then ooze this much style. Sonic the Hedgehog won the Golden Joystick Game of the Year award for that year, beating out Super Mario World. And for that reason, it's on my essential games list. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I gotta say that like this is the game I have been waiting for. Uh, I mean... Again, like, I, I enjoyed a lot of the games from, like, the early years. Like, I mean, Golden Axe was sort of, like, the game I was... I, I just wanted something to beat Golden Axe for me. Um, and, I've, and it's finally happened. Like, this is the game. So it is on the essential games list. You'll love to hear it. You'll love to hear it. Now, Joe, you've already been outvoted. But if you'd <laughs> like to join us, if you'd like to join us, you can join us in the essential games list. So... I, like I said, I never played this too much when I was younger. I had a few experiences with it. So kind of playing it a little fresh, I will say it, it lived up to my expectations. Um, I won't say that it's that it's a perfect game, but I think it's definitely an incredible game. Um, so I'll put it on the essential games list. There you have it. That's three. And Sonic is the newest member of the essential games list. Um, guys, how do we feel? Do we think we're ready for Sonic 2 someday? Oh, I can't wait. I'm ready right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're buying your copies early. Yes. Now, don't forget next week we're yeah, next week we're playing Batman. Nice. Um that yeah, I, and I, I couldn't quite tell which version of Batman that is. Uh, I didn't look up the actual <laughs> game yet, but it's like just calling it Batman is kind of weird because it's like, is it that 1989 Tim Burton movie? Is it the animated series? Is it neither of those and just its own game based on the comics? I can't wait to find out. And you guys like Batman, right? It looks like it's based off the movie. Oh, great. I mean, I haven't seen that movie in 20 minutes, so yeah. I would love to see it again. So, I, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Everybody knows that Jack Nicholson warned Heath Ledger. <laughs> Everyone knows that. I, are you are you trying to say that he deserved what happened? Mike? All I'll say is that when they when they pressed Jack for a question, he said, "I warned him." That's all he said, and then he walked away. What? Is that is true? That is that, he really said yeah, that? Who is what? that guy? This is Jesus. Insane. This is insane. It happened. It happened. Um, another thing that happened: Harley Quinn, the one fabulous emancipation of birds of prey. Uh, that movie came out and, and then everybody forgot about it. I know it's, you know, I didn't, I, I'm glad that nobody watched it. But you know what people did watch on? What's that? The Sonic the Hedgehog movie. You know what? I actually owned a couple, uh, a couple of the comic books too. You know, I owned a couple of the comic books too. It's actually a great series. Um, not just for children, but for uh, men and women of all ages yeah. to understand the relationship of our animal friends. And Sonic never really got into that furry territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for Sega Nostalgia. 
Uh, join us next week for Batman, as we said. Uh, remember that we post episodes every Wednesday. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me on at Esposito Film on Twitter. Bye.